In the world of business, reality shows, and the media, including social media, entrepreneurship is glamorized. From the way people supposedly pitch for investment dollars, you all have seen Shark Tank and Billion Dollar Buyers and West Texas Investors Club, to the appearance of winning or making so-called boss moves to the idea that you can give away enough free that you'll convert users into paying customers in the blink of an eye. You all are getting bombarded with the wrong picture of what it takes to run and operate a growing company. Staying open, thriving, and profitable is an art and science, and it's an exact exercise in patience, focus, and risk-taking. But if you want longevity and investment dollars for your company, it ultimately boils down to risk-taking and making the right internal and external investments in your company, bringing on the right people, and giving customers what they want and need. Keyword, want and need. Investors don't expect you to be perfect out the gate, but they want to know they're not sinking good money into bad companies. Ask yourself two questions. One, is my revenue flow strong enough to cover all expenses, including any surprises, and turn a comfortable profit? And two, at this point, if I'm really honest with myself, would I, as an investor, invest in my company if it were owned by someone else? Well, today I have no guest. It's just me. And I have a lot of things on my mind today that I want to cover. So usually at this point, I have a guest that comes in and I give their information. But since I don't have a guest today, I'm flying solo. We'll be back with guests next week. I want to give you my contact information. If you don't know me, but you should. On Twitter, I am Talent Diva. On the rest of the web, I am myself, uh, Adrian Graham. And also on Periscope, I'm Talent Diva. And on LinkedIn, I have a presence under Adrian Graham. And you can check out both of my websites at mobilechicks.com and empowerme.org. I firmly believe that one, before an entrepreneur seeks investment from anywhere, her company should have a solid infrastructure, a good team, and a long-term growth plan. And two, before you seek funding, you have to be all in. If you're looking for the cash infusion but are willing to walk away without exhausting all the efforts, then you're not as committed as you should be. And investors are right not to fund you. And I know that that is a key point, a key sticking point that a lot of people encounter when they're seeking investment dollars. Sometimes you'll see maybe on Shark Tank when an investor will say, I don't think you're all in, or I don't think you're committed 100% to this company, or I don't know if I want to put my money into a company where you, know, you haven't invested much time or effort or energy into the long term and planning out what this company is supposed to be. Now listen, it's a good thing when you have vision for your company and you know where you want it to go and you know how much money you need to get there. But it's an entirely different thing when you are not putting in the effort or the time or taking the risk to make these things happen. There are a few things that made headlines this past week, this past few weeks, that I want to touch on in this show today because each story led me to do this particular show today. While failure, and the word is subjective, Failure is necessary to succeed in business. Some of these stories could have been avoided if the founders had made the right investments into their companies instead of banking on popularity and cash infusions from angel or VC investors. So let's start out with the talking points. 
One of the first talking points is being obsolete is a danger to your bottom line. Now, some of you may have known, and if you're in the career search recruiter world, if you're a job seeker, Monster was dominant in the field from early on. And as you saw by that, you know, you get when you get into this notoriety thing and you're this big name brand and everything is going well, it's easy to get lazy and complacent. You get comfortable. When you see the competitors coming up behind you, and, and let's be real, let me back up on Monster for a minute because Monster was not the first. Career Builder was the first, and they were headhunter.net. I remember those days because I was a young, impressionable recruiter who was working from home, had her own firm, didn't have the budget. So I had to go with the low-cost free alternatives, and the internet was in its infancy at that time. And this is not that long ago. This was early to mid-90s, so no, I'm not a dinosaur. (laughs) But you see, when competitors are coming up behind you, you know, know that you're They're looking at your flaws and how to exploit them and give your customers a better way to do things than what they currently get from you. I mean, let's be real about it. Everybody's always looking to make the bigger, better, smarter mousetrap, especially in the tech industry. And you guys know that Mobile Chicks and and what we do is not limited to the tech industry, but those are the, the more public instances that I can show or that we can show with the media where flaws have been exploited. You know, having the same the name brand clients means nothing if you're not evolving with the times, the technology, and the economy. Monster made that big mistake. They got so big, you know, and this is not a slam. I mean, personally, as a business owner, I don't use Monster. Um, I'm not a job seeker, so I don't use Monster. They were just recently acquired by Ronstadt. And I'm going to talk about that a little later in the show. You guys know I do a segment where I talk about what's in the news. But... I needed to bring that up now at this point in the show because it's so important. They got so big and so dominant in the career field. They went from a job board to a career site. Then they said something about attracting millennials. And and that's another bug in my craw, if you want to put however you want to put that that expression uh, about millennials are the only ones really utilizing technology. You know, hello, who was using it before? But I digress. You know, it caused them to have to be acquired. The second thing is... They did not stay up with what made better sense for them. You know, yeah, you can get job alerts and things like that, but they weren't really an investable company. They were bleeding money. So Ronstadt, I guess, in a play to give themselves dominance in the career space as a staffing company, which I think is a conflict of interest, they purchased Monster this week for $429 million. Enough about that. The bottom line is being obsolete is a danger to your bottom line. It'll cost you money in the end. You don't want to be a money pit by being obsolete. Second point, you have to be absolutely sure your business model is going to work for you. And you have to be confident in it and confident that it will generate long-term revenue. Free is not a model, okay? Free is marketing dollars, okay? Free is not a model. If it doesn't make dollars... It doesn't make sense. That's what I always tell people. Well, I say it a little bit more in the vernacular. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense, really. You have to look at your business model because if you've quit your job and you've decided to launch a company, you have to not only replace your income, but you have to exceed that by at least tenfold if you're a small business. You have to be able to generate revenue that's going to pay you because as the boss, no, you do not work for free. You still have to get paid from your company. You have employees to pay on top of that. You have expenses that come along with running a company. And, you know, there's 
things that come up unexpectedly. So you have to make sure that your business model is generating long-term revenue. You know, and, and here's the other thing. Just because it worked for another company doesn't mean that it'll work for yours or even at this time in the market. I'll give Guilt Group as an ex example. Guilt is phenomenal. They're kicking butt. The two ladies who started the company uh, did so to have like a daily deal flashlight site for luxury goods to to purchase on, you know, bargain prices. I noticed that, you know, they weren't first in that category, but they were dominant in that category. And then these copycats started springing up and next thing you know there are all of these flash sale sites and things like that well they haven't been successful by accident they have been successful because they're very strategic about it and if you read their book by invitation only they outline what they've got their, their experience in opening guilt.com they went through their experience and they don't come from you know dorm rooms or anything like that they come from wall street careers if i remember correctly but they made sure to keep tweaking their business model because just offering hey we have stuff on sale that's not a business model you know hey sign up for free that's not a business model they're very strategic in their partnerships they're very strategic in in, in their pricing in their memberships and you have to just pay attention. And this is what I tell people. Don't look at the success. Don't look at the product or the service offering. You need to focus on the formula. What did they do? I study the people. I study the people behind the company. I don't study companies, you know, as when I do case studies or, or even for my own education. But you have to make sure that what you're doing is not merely just a copycat model of somebody else. If you're doing something similar, what makes you different? What makes you stand out? What makes people want to leave the other companies and come back to you and make you that preferred vendor or company or, or site of choice? So make sure you're examining your business model for the long term and you have to know how it makes money, how it acquires companies what the long-term potential is, how you execute, how do you offer and distribute and manufacture what it is that you sell. Investors want to know all of this. If you're not sure of your business model, if you walk into a meeting and say, well, I think it's part subscription and part community and part e-commerce, and you can't explain why you have those different pieces of a business model, I mean, you, they do have blended models, but if you can't explain why it makes sense, and why it's generating revenue and profits and why they should invest in that. And also why, if you can't explain that you have long-term customers or repeat customers, investors are not going to want to put their money in your business, which leads to my next point. Growth requires investment. Now, without a doubt, you must invest in your people, your processes, your products or services, and the improvements. And if you watch The Profit with Marcus Limonis, not a plug, I just love the show. He always talks about people, process, and product. Those are the things that make sense, and those are the, the infrastructure, the foundational, the core of what, a, what makes a company. If you're not investing in continuous improvement of these things, then you're going to fall behind, and you're going to not be very investment worthy. Let's go with people first. You can't just place an ad on Craigslist and expect to find top of the top quality candidates. Now, that is not a dig towards people who use Craigslist. Hey, if it works for you, more power to you. But really step back and this is where you have to be very strategic and plan out your process. Who do you want to hire? How do you want to hire them? Why do you want to hire them? And how do they contribute to your bottom line? 
those are the things you need to keep in mind before you even have the first interview with anyone. And you need to bring people on who are smarter than you, more skilled than you are, and who have capabilities that can get the company to the next level where you are weakest at. So make sure you really focus on investing in the right people. Now, if you're going to haggle, if a person comes in, they're looking for $50,000 and you say, well, I've only budgeted $45,000 and you're going to haggle over that $5,000. Let me leave you with this thought. How much is it worth to you to increase your revenue, to get things done the right way, to not have to keep rehiring and retraining and reinvesting money into the recruitment process all over again because it costs. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, well, you can use social media or you can use Craigslist or free job boards and think that that's okay. No, it's not. Sometimes you have to go where other people are not willing to go in order to get the people that will best make your company flourish. So invest in your people. Investors want to see that you have a solid team and they want to see that you have knowledgeable people who can execute and pivot on a dime. Processes. Okay, listen. I've been a victim of this at times where a, an order went wrong or something wasn't delivered, you know, a service wasn't delivered as it was supposed to, you know, properly in the proper context, I mean, to a customer or something had to get canceled and, and rescheduled and threw off, threw off everybody's schedules. You know, things happen. But if you have processes in place and processes for backups in case of emergency, then Investors will see that you're serious. You know, what happens if, let's, let's just say, let's put it out there. Let's say another big storm comes through like Katrina or like Sandy. What about business continuity? How are you going to get those processes to keep going on with continuity? How are you going to get your customers what they paid for? How are you going to get your team to work? How are you going to keep your, your business in business? during times of disaster. So your processes have to be strategically documented and they have to be constantly reviewed, I would say quarterly, in order to make sure that there are no holes in your processes. You want your execution to come off flawlessly. So invest in the processes. If it means you know investing time, if it means investing in having a consultant come in, do what you need to do in the, to invest in those processes to make it better for the customer, better for the employee, and better for the, for the brand. And the final part is product or service improvement. That absolutely requires investment. Because if you're doing the same old stale thing or you're giving the same products and, and nothing is changing, then your customers are eventually going to get bored. And let me give you an example. I have a wonderful friend who I hope is listening. I won't say her name because I don't know if she wants to be put out there like that. But she has a cleaning company that she started out of her her home and, you know, with $400 and she went on and and purchased her materials and one day I was talking and she said girl I need an upgrade I need to get better equipment and she took her profits and reinvested it back into the company and she bought new and improved products she always replaces out at certain periods as part of her, her business plan she replaces out her because she has a you know a high traffic uh, company and she's you know they're active they're a very active company she has to keep replacing and replenishing supplies and equipment so you have to continuously look at what needs to be improved let's take an example of maybe a baker maybe you have an industrial kitchen mixer and you're a baker and you have a bakery and it goes out and you say well you know what I have two kitchen aids at home I can bring those to me now I love kitchen aids those those of you who know me know I love and live by my kitchen aid appliances but that's not conducive 
to a company, to a bakery, to have two personal KitchenAid, you know, mixers doing the work of an industrial mixer. You have to invest or let's say you have a car service. I, you know, whenever I go out of town and a client, you know, pays for me to come from, come to out of town, like the big clients, they pay for me to come in like my flight and they have a driver pick me up. They're always in these spectacular cars. And I talk to the drivers and they say, you know, we're kind of sort of independent contractors and we have to maintain our own cars. The company doesn't maintain the fleet. They give us an allowance, but we have to maintain the cars. So they're constantly putting money into making sure that the cars run smoothly, that anytime there's any kind of technical or mechanical issue, they get on it right away. So you have to be willing to put in capital improvements into your company. If an investor sees that you're making it work with spitting a band-aid, so to speak. And, and listen, there are times when I said things where people ask me, how did you pull this off? And I say, oh, with spitting a band-aid. That's just a little colorful way of saying I made it work with what I had. But when you get money, when you get revenue coming in, you need to be reinvesting those profits. You can't just put them in your, your pockets, ladies, or put it into the new Prada bag or the new pair of shoes. You have to constantly put capital investments into your company. My next point is focus on your core service or product and get it monetized and profitable before adding spinoffs. Now listen, I know a little bit about that because I was at that point. I was that one that, you know, my brain, well, I am that one. My brain doesn't shut off. At night, it's constantly going. It's a blessing and a curse. But I'm always looking for ways to expand my product base or expand my services or add on what makes sense for the brand. Doing a podcast, a radio show, made sense. Yes, it'll bring in advertising dollars, but it doesn't take so much of my time where it's costing me other money. There are things that I want to do that I won't talk about now because I don't want to jinx it. But there are things that I am doing, I'm in the process of implementing that are natural offshoots to the company. But I had to learn, and this is in my, my previous companies that I've had in the past, I had to learn that you have to perfect what you have first. Once you perfect that, then you can start adding to your core, but perfect your core first before you can add on. You know, it's only logical to add as you grow and customers needs change and they evolve and taste change. You know, there are new and improved ways of doing things that emerge. But if you can't successfully satisfy your customers in a way that converts them to long-term customers, the dynamic shifts from relational to transactional. You generate more revenue from relational customer bases than transactional. Transactionals are one and done. And yeah, it might be a big one-time thing. You know, you may get that $10,000 client or $100,000 client or, you know, especially if you're in a luxury market. But the ones and dones, do you know how many of those you have to keep marketing and sourcing and reaching out to to get those ones and dones? It's not worth it. Build real relationships Focus on that core and build those relationships and your customers will love you and keep coming back and you'll be monetized and they'll be looking to pay and it'll be profitable for when you do the spinoff. That way it's only logical because look, look at it this way. Let's suppose you spin off a product or a service to your core and it flops. Uh, anyone heard of the new Coke or... What was the other one? Pepsi Clear and some of the other stuff that they put out on the market that had backlash to it. If something fails, 
if your core is not strong and it's not generating revenue and the core fail, I mean, and the, the spinoff fails, then you're up the creek, so to speak. But if your core is strong, you can say, okay, let's regroup. Let's focus on, you know, back to our core and figure out what the next natural step is. And you can take that loss and you can you keep it moving and take those lumps and take it as a learning experience. But it's very important that you strengthen your core first and monetize that and make it profitable first. The next thing is monetize everything properly. Now, I can't stress enough that free is not a business model. Of course, I can because I said it earlier in the show. It's a marketing tool. Free is a marketing tool. And free without conversion strategy leads to closed doors. And undercharging will also leave you a broke brand. And I know you guys have heard me talk about broke brands before. Now, I know people look at Facebook and say, hey, Facebook is free. No, not really. They had to eventually put into place a an advertising model. I don't blame them. Do I like it? No, I really don't. When people are fickle, people are very funny. When they're used to using something for free, they get very, very upset when all of a sudden things have to be paid for. Now, we can go through the whole debate about, well, are they really your target customer and are they ideal for you and blah, 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 blah. That's not what this discussion is about today. That's for another time. And believe me, there will be a show on that topic. But you have to pay attention because when you, it's kind of like the bait and switch. So if you're giving something for free, people are going to get conditioned. Clients or customers or users, excuse me, users are not clients. Clients are not used or clients can be users, but users are not always clients. When clients, customers are, I'm sorry, when users are used to getting something for free and that shifts to now they have to pay for something and they don't perceive that it's a value, it's just merely like, oh, hey, we need to operate, so now we need to charge. They're going to, going to abandon ship. Trust me. If Facebook became, for the general population, not for businesses and, and brands that advertise there, but if Facebook became a $9.99 a month club or, or they start charging even a 99 cents a month or whatever, they would have a mass exodus because while it's dominant and hugely popular, it's hugely popular because it's free. So you make sure you're monetizing everything. I don't care what it is. People have this fascination of giving away, oh, I give away free books, free eBooks and free. First of all, it takes you a lot of time. If you've done it right, it takes you a lot of time to create a book. I know I've written five and that's not an overnight thing for me. And it's, it's, it's a creative process. So your time is worth money. You know, even though it's you doing it yourself, your time is still worth money. And giving away eBooks, listen, everybody is doing that. If it's valuable, put a price tag on it. You have to. These free memberships. Oh, free membership. You know, our community is free. Listen, Mobile Chicks is not free. I tell people that up front, it is not free. We provide a service, we provide resources, and we provide something that helps your company grow in the long run that you should be paying for. You have to monetize everything. I don't care if it's $1.99 a month, if it's $10,000 a person, if it's $60,000 per brand. I don't care what it is. Everything needs to be properly monetized because you're in business for what? To make money. If you're not making money, how do you expect investors to give you money? Investors, here's a secret for you. If you didn't know this already, investors invest their money, not to be philanthropic or nice. And I don't care how many times you hear about social 
investing and social philanthropy and all of that good stuff. They're in to make money. They want to make a return on their investment. So don't fool yourself thinking, well, Facebook is free and they got millions and millions of dollars um, in investment money and they got a billion dollar valuation. But you're not Facebook. Okay, so monetize everything properly. And then the final point I want to share today is pay attention to the details. You know, pay attention to the, what the customers and the market are telling you directly and indirectly, because that is going to be your guide. It's going to show you how you need to shift, make adjustments, to add new things, to delete other things. It's going to show you how to move forward with your, with your company. And it's going to help you long term if you're paying attention to those little details. So let me give you an example. When I was running my, my recruitment firms, we were hired on to source out top talent, diversity talent, and you know certain specific skill sets. And we wanted to be more, well, I wanted it to be more than just a you know, fill position kind of thing, stick a body in a position kind of thing. So what we also offered in addition at no additional charge is we did the full customer or candidate development experience. I won't go into that. We did complete sourcing. We stayed step-in-step step with reporting to the hiring managers on a weekly basis. We provided salary comp. We made sure that we did, you know, sat in with interviews. We did interview coaching with hiring managers. So all of these different things that we offered as additional skill sets that we could provide to them, uh, marketing planning and you know job marketing and all of that good stuff employment branding well employment branding is a separate fee so but you know what I mean but the basics we offered that stuff for free it, it, in addition to the recruiting services so we stood out in that it wasn't just hey here's that rec fill this position for me and get your fee it wasn't like that we made it a full relationship we paid attention we paid attention to when hiring managers would complain that you know how do we Find people who, you know, eliminate people who are not going to be within the salary range. How do we understand how we make our company competitive to our other, you know, the bigger competitors or to, uh, you know, our, our peers? And we took all of that into account and we created these additional steps or services that we included as part of our service level offering. So you need to focus on listening to what your customers are offering. And anybody who gets it, who understands the psychology of their customers, that's a, a gold star for investors because they want to know that they're not putting their money into something that is going to be a, a, a steep learning curve and that there's going to be an education phase to, gen to educate the general populace. So make sure you're paying attention to the details. Now, all of these things I talked about today will help you stay out of the money trap. If you are not doing any of these things, your company will very likely be a money trap, a money pit. You'll be throwing good money after bad and investing in the wrong things. So make sure that you think about what an investor is going to be looking, like, looking at you for and what they're going to analyze about you. All of these tips that I talked about in here today are excellent opportunities for you to really... Give yourself a way to, you know, evaluate your own company and see what it is that you can improve in. So with that said, I'm, I'm very, very happy to answer your questions on Twitter and Facebook. And at this point, I usually ask people who are on to give three tips that the audience can take away from them. So since it's just me, I'm going to give you the three tips. So tip number one, in the very beginning, establish a staffing plan. 
you have to have the right people as you grow. And, you know, you may think of it as, oh, it's an expense that I can't afford right now. But you can't afford not to hire the right people. Think of it like this. You don't want to have a company. Let's say you have a beauty salon. Okay, let's say that. And because you need more customers and you need more heads and you need more people, you know, to bring in revenue, you decide to hire your cousin, Natalie. You hire your cousin, Natalie, who just got out of high school and she showed an interest in cosmetology, and, but she's always been able to do her own hair, but it doesn't make her a professional. Well, guess what? Chances are Natalie is going to mess up a client's hair. It's going to mess you up in the pockets and you're going to lose that client and the client is not going to come back because they're going to deem you as unprofessional. Let's go another route. Let's say that you have this awesome tech company, tech support company that you want to launch and you have an app division. Well, your cousin has always been really good on the computer. Doesn't mean he knows how to do apps. So you hire your cousin. Your cousin messes up or worse your cousin doesn't know how to do to build the app and the customer specifications get pushed to the side because your cousin said, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. You lost a client. So invest in a staffing plan in the beginning. That saves you money. It may seem like an expense in the beginning, but trust me, hiring the right people saves you money in the end. Tip number two, budget is not a dirty word. It's not. Trust me. I used to hate that word when I was younger, but now that I'm an adult, my 47-year-old self, yeah, I love the word budget. It keeps me on track. From day one, you have to have a basic understanding of what money is coming in and what's going out. You have to be responsible with your money and your credit. That goes for your personal and business credit. You know, it's tempting to want when you get investment, let's say you do get investment dollars, it's tempting to want to splurge and, and go extravagant and, you know, spend money on spaces and places and things to give a good impression. That's a recipe for disaster. Stay away from that. Have a good budget in place and make sure that you have money put away for a rainy day. It's what I call those in case of emergency break glass situations. Make sure you put away some money because there's nothing worse than landing a big contract only to realize that you can't fulfill it because you can't afford the labor or the resources required to do the work. So make sure that you focus on establishing a budget up front. Plus investors want to know that you, you are responsible with your money. And the last tip is... Be willing to invest in upgrades. No, not a new car, not the new latest office furniture or new digs, but in the, the technology that streamlines your and improves your processes, in your marketing that will bring awareness to your brand. No, I'm not talking about blasting Twitter and Instagram and things like that, although those are tools you got to do it strategically. Make sure that you have investment in your people to have that magic touch. You know, invest in the upgrade. If you have an administrative assistant, and this is, and I'm going to call my sister out, Jay Stone. I love her dearly. She doesn't play when it comes to her assistants. And we had a conversation, and this is what made me think about this as well, about upgrading assistants. You cannot hire any and everybody. And sometimes people just out use, the, you know, they, they've outlived their usefulness. So you have to upgrade. You have to move on. You can't stick with a bookkeeper as you're growing. As you shift into a new level, as you move into different areas of your company, as you start generating more revenue and attract, attracting attention from investors, eventually you're going to need like a CFO. Bookkeeper and CFO are two different things. You're going to have to upgrade from a bookkeeper to a CFO. 
And also invest in continuing education for yourself and your team so you can keep current and the relationships. Invest in upgrading those networking relationships to put the right people around you who can help you advance your company. So those are my three tips for today. So with this little bit of time left, we have about eight minutes left, so I'm going to talk a little bit about today's news. Okay, this one came straight from a friend. I found this earlier uh, yesterday. The collapse of music dealers and music licensings raced to the bottom. In a nutshell, there was a company in Chicago, I believe it was, who focused on distribution, uh, licensing distribution for their clients. You know how you hear the music on commercials or in themes on films and, you know, anything, jingles or whatever. Those people get paid because they license out their music. And Prince, rest in peace, his purple majesty, was a beast when it came to protecting his music and for licensing. So you need to make sure, if you're thinking about licensing and it's not just for music, you need to make sure that you get it legally taken care of. But anyway, the music, the company that did this sync music licensing, they overextended themselves. They were pretty much too big for their britches and they got into heavy debt. And the the, the story is going to be over on, on our Mogul Chicks blog. If you go to mogulchicks.com slash blog and when episode 5 is up and ready, you'll see the link to the story. But their company is going into liquidation and they halted because, you know, while they looked like they had a strong trajectory and they had these big deals that they were securing and, you know, they were founded in 2008 and their founders all left the company before 2016. So that has to tell you something. You know, that's like a ding, ding, red flag kind of thing. But basically, music dealers um, established a database where independent artists could upload their music so that brands and music supervisors from film projects and things like that can go and look at it. It wasn't new, but it was kind of like a what they banned, uh, uh, had uh, promoted themselves as pre-clearing music and ensuring that the rights to the music on their systems were cleared and that people had permission to license them. And they also had non-exclusive contracts, which allowed the musicians to license their music elsewhere. You know, you don't want to be locked in. I mean, it's a good, a good, good thing and bad thing. And what made it even take it a step further is that they split 50-50 publishing royalties. Incomes 5.25 million worth of funding over three years, and they had the biggest investment was 2.18 million that came in from one investors, and they were you know kicking butt. They had McDonald's and all these big companies, and then all of a sudden, in July, they announced that they were ch- claiming Chapter Seven bankruptcy. So you know sometimes they they actually turned out they had 9.93 million in debt. So yeah. You do the math on that. And they had been named an Inc. 5000 company. So that goes to show you that getting on those lists, while they are prestigious and they're great and they're beautiful, it ain't always what it seems. So now they have $9.93 million in debt and they closed their doors and sad for them. So, But that's that story. You can see that on our website as well. The next thing, I talked about this a little bit earlier, is Monster, you know, they were supposedly the disruptor. Wine Monster had to sell itself to Ronstadt for $429 million. I've already stated my piece about this. The link is on the site, on the blog as well. You'll get to see that. But I have a problem with it because Monster was one of those things, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And this is the way we've always done it. And those are things that kill companies. They kill companies. In 2011, they posted $1 billion in annual revenue. One billion. You know, but 
you know what? Here it is. The worst that the company had to write down was $142 million, which was driving a big loss for one quarter. But one quarter. So they have been, the company said it had to use 12 million of its own cash to fund operations for the first six months of 2016. Oh, boo-hoo. They had to use their own money. You know, that meant that investors were drying up. They weren't getting any money. And it is what it is. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, Ronstadt has been on a tear. They have been acquired. They've been acquiring a lot of different companies. And I just hope that they don't implode on themselves. But go ahead. You know, you'll get to see that. And then the other one I just learned of this this morning is Blab is dead. And I know some of you love Blab. We had the same conversation when Catch went out of business. Um, it was a shock. But it goes to show you. It goes wrong. You can go from 0 to 3.9 million users in less than a year. You know, the, it was built in a hackathon project, which is cool. I mean, I've been to hackathons. I've seen some great products come out of hackathons. But that was just a project that turned into a company. It did not have any real plan. It didn't have any strategy. And, you know, the analytics were kind of skewed. And, you know, they want to say that live streams suck for the most part. Yeah, sometimes they do. You know, let's be real. Even Periscope has its ups and downs. But they weren't monetizing. They had users. They didn't have client customer and then other thing they cited as as a problem was people were making friends instead of content and the people that were making content would come on maybe once a week for two hours to really sell for themselves they weren't creating content that was generating revenue for blab um but the people who were on there every day hanging out with their friends and the same thing with periscope they were on making friends and talking to their friends every day like five six hours a day they weren't paying for that. So, you know, you got to look at when you're building these products. And, and I tell you guys this, not just to be mean or anything. When you're building these next big things, and I'm using finger quotes, make sure that they have a purpose. And make sure that there's a way to expand from there. You know, look at let's look at a, a blast from the past, virtual last year. It was total implosion for them. You know, their Kate Donovan, Mary Kate Donovan, the, the founder, she wanted to say, oh, well, the numbers were just completely messed up. Uh, no, darling, it was more than just the numbers. It was you. They actually ran out of money. They scaled up hiring, hired all these people without understanding where they fit in, went on to a radio show, talked about how they were profitable, how they were just hiring. They just added new people. And then overnight, 400 people lost jobs. And it was like, what? It imploded. And on top of that, it wasn't even as if she gave a statement or an address to people. It was just, hey, we're no longer in business. You, know, you can't do that. can't do that. Well, all of these stories are on the site. You can go ahead to mobilechicks.com slash blog. And for those of you who are interested, we are hosting our Mobile Chicks Weekend Intensive, September 24th to the 25th in beautiful Miami, Florida. We are going to be there to help you. We're going to be talking about these actual topics and what we have been talking about in the last few shows. We're going to be bringing that to life for you to help you grow and scale your companies and make you investment worthy. So give us a call 
or email us at info at mogulchicks.com. Watch all of our social medias on, on my social media at Talent Diva on Twitter and Periscope and Adrian Graham, all the rest of it, Instagram, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+, YouTube. And also, Mogul Chicks has its own across the social media. So if you're interested, go to mogulchicks.com slash weekend-intensive. It's $8.99 per person. Add an, a co-founder for $2.50. Or if you just want a day pass for each day, it's $500 each day. And spots are open so thank you for tuning in and i appreciate you being with me for this episode of mogul chicks for avoiding money pit syndrome i want you to be able to get investment dollars i want you to be able to grow and scale a profitable company so remember mogul chicks always close deals we make things happen i'm adrian graham founder of mogul chicks